Do you ever feel like you do not have enough information? Maybe uh, you've been assigned a project at school or a project at work, and you're like, man, I don't know if I've got it all. I don't know if I've got all the information. Maybe your kid has come to you and said something broke in the living room, and the nagging thing in the back of your head is like, I do not have all the information here, right? There are so many different things in our life that we just don't feel like we have all of the information that is needed to assess the situation. I was at Ford Bible Camp um, the last couple weeks, so not this last week, but the two weeks prior, and this is a picture of that for those first two weeks. There wasn't actually snow, but it felt like there was. It was freezing. For the first two weeks in June, everyone's in like sweatshirts and pants. It was ridiculous. Anyways, me and uh, my program team, which was me and Kieran Smith and then Ian and Maddie Morris, we had to develop a brand new night game. And you need to understand the pressure here, okay? Night games are the highlight of Ford Bible Camp, okay? Like everything hinges on the night game. When your kids come home and they say, Ford Bible Camp was awesome, can I go next year? Because of the night games, okay? Lots of pressure on the program team to do that well. So we came up with a new one that was essentially hiding different items out in the woods like it was a, a, an Easter egg hunt, okay? Now, there were different varying difficulty in items and different points assigned for how hard the item was to find. And we did this for the first uh, two little kids camps, so seven to nine-year-olds. And it was fun. It was a blast. It was always great. But then in the last week that I was there, it was for the 13 to 18-year-old girls camp, which is the smartest camp at <laughs> Ford Bible Camp, okay? So... So there's more, even more pressure there that it's like, okay, we can't do it easy like we did for the seven and nine-year-olds. We got to ramp up the difficulty. And so we did. The hardest item that you could find was this arrow, and it was a camouflage arrow that I took the neon green feathers off of, okay? So even in broad daylight, I really don't think you could ever find this thing if I set it on the ground, okay? So this is a hard item. The, the realization after we had hit it was, you know what? They may not find this, but that's okay. That's okay. It's part of the challenge because it's not a normal Easter egg hunt, okay? But we start the game, and I, when I tell you, okay, 45 seconds to a minute into the game, girl walks in, found the arrow, Daniel. Oh, my gosh. Now, they didn't even wait 15 minutes to make me feel better. Like, they, it was 45 seconds. I don't even think it was a full minute into the game. She comes in with the camouflage arrow. The hardest item to find goes, I found it. Shortly after that, her friend walks in behind her and goes, yeah, you know what? I saw you guys preparing for the game. And then she is quickly shushed and pulled out of the chapel. Okay? So if there were a moment where you would say, I don't think I have all the information here, that was definitely one. Turns out, as I suspected... They saw us preparing for the game, which is what? Hiding the items, okay? So they find the item that they watched me hide, didn't even wait 15 minutes, 45 seconds in the game, come in. So again, not having all the information can sometimes be frustrating. And in life, often we don't have all the information. And we're, we're seeking in different ways, looking at different paths, learning new things to find all of the information. And I think a piece of scripture where Jesus gives us a key piece of information 
about what our job is here on earth and, and, and our mission here on earth. Uh, we find that in Matthew 22, 37 through 40. So you can, there's a Bible in the seat back in front of you, or it's going to be up here on the screen, whichever one you would prefer. So again, as we often see in the gospel accounts, we see Pharisees coming to uh, trap Jesus with, with his words, with their words, with whatever. And often it is depicted that Jesus uh, wins that mental battle. Okay, so this is another one of those where the Pharisees have asked Jesus, what is the most important commandment in the Bible? And it's a trick question because they're seeking for the answer of all of them. They're all the most important. But Jesus goes a little bit more outside of that box. And here's what he says in Matthew 22, 37 through 40. And he, and he said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. So Jesus is, is, is very clear here. We are to love God and to love people. It's very clear that this is the information that we need. <laughs> this is the info for our lives. That we are to love God and love people. And love God, that is the first thing listed for a reason. Because that's where it's got to start. There was a podcast I was listening to this week. And it's just been kicking my butt all week. Now, here's what the podcaster said. He said, in your romantic relationship, whether you're married or you're dating, it, it would be a normal thing or, or a very romantic thing to go across the street or down the road to a park, sit on a bench with your significant other, just do nothing. Just sit there with them. Like, that would be a romantic moment. And I, I'll toot my own horn here in that me and my wife Hannah have been good at going places and just doing nothing just because we were with each other. Now, the key thing is here is don't ask her because then you'll get the truth. But just let that live up here, okay? <laughs> we do good at that, all right? Just don't talk to her about it. Now, then he takes it another step the podcaster says, why is it weird to do that with Jesus? Why is it weird to go across the park bench to just sit there and be with him? Just because he's there to sit on that park bench and just imagine that he's there with you physically and just talk and to just listen and just be there to read his word, to talk to him. Like, I think that that is what loving God looks like. And, and the podcaster took it another step. And he said, what if that is all that God wants from you? What if he just wants to sit on the park bench next to you every day? What if that's what he was calling you into, was simply just relationship with him? He is so passionate about relationship with you. So I think loving God is sitting on the park bench. It's sitting there next to him and sometimes just doing nothing but just being there with him. So love God. And when we talk about loving others and, and a piece of that is serving others, I would say the biggest piece of that is serving others. The reality is if we're going to talk about you need to love God to serve others, here's the big question. People that don't love God serve others well. 
right? Like, we can admit that. Like, Bill Gates has more resources to help countries and to help people and really change their lives monetarily than you and I ever could in our entire lives. So there are people that don't love God that meet needs in other people well. So the real question is, what does God provide that's different than that? That's different than just the action. And I think that God provides the big picture. He provides a picture that is bigger than just you and I. He provides a story that is bigger than just what you've got going on in your day-to-day life. And he's over it all. So God provides a big picture, and it's a big picture of life and death. The Bible is very clear. It teaches that our world is broken, and that you and me, we're, we're broken. We see that, right? Like, look around. Just take a second to look around in our world, and it's not too hard to figure out where our world is broken and where you and me are broken. It's not too hard to find that. The Bible teaches that 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 brokenness is caused by sin. And that sin is a separation of relationship between us and God. And that God passionately wants relationship. But there's a price to be paid for the sin and the brokenness in the world. And so he sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die and pay the price for those sins and then conquer death. And through the resurrection, that relationship that God is so passionate about is available. So it's a bigger picture of life and death. It's a bigger picture that we can operate out of, that we can love others out of. It's that of life and death. And the reality is, is that that time on the park bench with Jesus is going to move you to love others. Loving God moves you to love others. When I say this, there's a verse, a couple verses that just scream out in my head. And it's 1 John 4, 19 through 21. Again, going to be up on the screens or in the Bibles in front of you. So 1 John 4, 19 through 21 says this. We love Because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God, and he hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother, whom he has seen, cannot love God, whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him. Whoever loves God must also love his brother. Loving God moves you to love others. It's a response. It's not an initiation. It's a response to God's love in your life. It's a response to the park bench time that you have with God. Loving God moves you to love others. And I'm a very simple man, okay? Lots of things are very complicated to me, and I don't understand a lot of things. And often I'm the one that complicates them, okay? So it can be a mess, all right? Now, there is one thing that is very simple to me, the more that I spend time with God on that park bench and the more that I just live life. And that is that we are simply a reflection. Let me show you. So God 
is light, right? There's light that he emits. And let me teach you, or remind, not teach you, but remind you of uh, something that, that we've all learned in, in elementary school. So when light is shown, uh, it is then reflected, especially if it's shown on a mirror, just like this, okay? And that reflection starts with an incident ray, okay? We can call this God's love, maybe, right? Then that incident ray hits the mirror. It bounces off out into you guys, into your faces, and that is the reflection ray. So the more and more I live life with God and just live life in general, I learn that we are simply just a reflection. We are simply just reflecting what God is shining on to us. And often, we don't like this. We don't like that the fact that we're not the source of the light, that we can't develop the light. And so we put these fancy light bulbs onto ourselves, onto this mirror, and acting like we are a luminous object or an object that develops light, and we're not. And then we have the audacity to say, okay, I think that God has, has moved away from me because I'm not reflecting him all that much. Because we can sense that. We can sense times of, of being in tune with God and being oriented towards him. And then we can sense times that we're really not. And so we have the audacity to say, okay, the light has moved. And it's not. The light has not moved. The light has not stopped shining. The light has not gotten further away. What has really happened is that we have moved is that we have turned away from the light that we are called to reflect. We do not develop the light. We just reflect it. So there you go. Now, in order to be a great reflection, we must abide in the source that we reflect. I hope you hear this. In order to be a great reflection, we need to abide in the source that we reflect. We need to be oriented towards that source of light. And when I say the words abide, it just John 15 screams out to me. And any youth in the room are just like rolling their eyes because I talk about John 15 all the time. But it is so foundational to our relationship with God and, and what our lives look like. So I'm going to be in John 15, 4 and 5 to start us off. And I just want to remind you of the passage. This is a passage where Jesus is saying he's referring to himself as the vine, us as the branches, and God the Father as the vine dresser that will cut off branches that are not producing fruit, and he will even prune branches that are producing fruit so that they would produce even more fruit. So we get kind of that context and some of that uh, situation that's there, and then we jump into 4 and 5. And this is when I say the word abide and when I just think about that relationship, this is what comes to mind. So verses 4 and 5 say this, Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me you can do nothing. And this verse just stings because that first part, it's like, okay, I'm rocking with that, Jesus. I'm with it, okay? And then you read that last part, for apart from me, you can do nothing. You go, 
oh, I don't like that one. Can we just like change that a little bit to be like, for apart from me, you can only do a little, right? Like, so there's a little stuff that I can take credit for. Or apart from me, you can only do half of what you normally do. So then there's, you know, at least half I can take credit for. That's what I want. <laughs> that section stings because apart from Jesus, we can do nothing out of the greater picture of life and death. So then we move on because the natural next question is, okay, Jesus, I understand. I've got to abide in you and what that means. But what does that abiding look like? And so we'll jump ahead here to verses 10 and 11. We're still in John 15. And here's what it says. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. Two things stand out to me here. The first one is that Jesus is not asking you to do something he hasn't already done. I uh, worked at Regal Placerville for a little bit, and it's not Regal anymore. It's something else. I haven't been there in a while, so you guys will have to tell me what it is now. But I used to work when it was Regal at Regal Placerville, and uh, I was often asked to clean the restroom or to refill the ice or to do these different remedial tasks and it got to a point where I was like, man, have the managers that are telling me to do this, have you even ever done this? Like, I mean, come on, right? Like, there's a lack, there's an inward talk when someone is telling you to do something they haven't already done that you're like, what the heck? I mean, how do you even know what I should do or how I should do it? Then I got asked to be a team lead. And as I got to know the other team leads and the other managers, I learned that they had been doing that currently and before. So they were not asking me to do something that they hadn't already done. And there was a deep respect gained for that group of leaders because I knew they weren't asking anyone to do something that they have not done. And so there's a respect that I think we can have through this, the realization that Jesus is not asking you to do something here that you have not, that he has not already done. He has followed his father's commandments, and he knows the fruit that comes with that. And so out of that knowledge that he has, of the joy that that provides, he then asks you to do it. Because he knows that is the best space for you. So this leads me to the second thing that stands out, which is Jesus is not asking you to do something that is apart from joy. Just a quick separation here between happiness and joy is that happiness is, is temporary and fleeting. So you get a new car, you buy a house, you move into a new house, you get a new job, you get a promotion, you move schools, you find a new friend. Like all these things provide a, a spark of happiness and then after time we take that for granted and it, it, it can kind of go away. Joy is something that is everlasting that is eternal, that Jesus is inviting us into. This doesn't mean that your life isn't going to be hard. This doesn't mean that sucky things aren't going to happen. This just means that through that park bench time with Jesus, that he is inviting you into his joy. And that he invites you to obey his commandments because he knew, he knows, that when he obeyed his father's commandments that that's where joy was found. So then we ask, 
or at least then I ask, so then what is the commandment? And in verses 12 and 13, we see that. It says, this is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. Loving God moves you to love people. Loving God moves you to lay down your life for your friends, for the people in your sphere of influence, to lay down your wants, your desires, sometimes even the plans that you have to meet a need in, in someone else. Now, as I mentioned before, we live in a broken world, and, and you can go to different coffee shops, and you can see needs all over the place. I don't know if you go to Starbucks or the new Dutch Bros that's in town. I don't know if you heard about that. But you go to these different coffee shops, and I'm not much of a people watcher, but if I'm in a coffee shop, I'm definitely watching people, okay? Now, you see needs in these scenarios. You see needs in your life all the time, and, and often it's a need that flies by the, and the opportunity walks away. Seeing a need is one thing. We can all see a need. Asking about that need is a whole nother deal. Seeing a need is one thing, asking is another. So I beckon you to, to ask about needs. When you see a need to ask, hey, I've been seeing this. Is this accurate? Is this what's going on? And you'll find out maybe you were wrong, <laughs> but that there's another need. Or you'll find out that you were right, but really there's a deeper need that needs to be filled out of the surface need that is showing up. So seeing a need is one thing, asking is another. And then that final step is to prayerfully meet the need. And I say prayerfully, I got to tell you a story. Okay, now, uh, as I was later on in high school, right after, pretty much right after I received my call into ministry through Mission Placerville, by the way, um, I, it was placed on my heart to spend time with this person that was, that was younger than me. And, you know, I, I told my youth pastor at the time, Nick, that I had received this call into ministry, and what's the next step? What should I do? And he's talking to me about disciple-making and spending time with people and all that mumbo-jumbo, okay? And so then it's placed on my heart to do that with this young man. But the problem was is that this kid annoyed me. He was a sandpaper person. I don't know if you've heard that phrase before, but it was like this grinding that just happened. And it's like, God... Really? This one? Like, there's so many at youth group. I just met so many people at Mission Placerville. Really, this is the guy you want me to spend time with, to talk about you, to talk about life? And so there's a prayerfulness that comes with meeting a need. Because truly meeting a need is going to be at great cost to yourself. There are some of us that that have so much time, like that's my phase of life right now, right? Where I've got so much time, kind of, that I can invest in so many different people or places, and, and I could give that out like it's just $1 bills, throwing it everywhere. And then someone goes, hey, would you think about giving us some money for this or, or giving money towards this? And I go, oh, I, gotta, I really, ah, it's at a great cost. 
And then the inverse can be true too. Sometimes it's literally throwing $1 bills everywhere, right? Like sometimes that is a capability, but then someone asks for some time and it's like, ah, I don't know, I gotta think about that. Right, so prayerfully meet the need. Sit on the park bench with Jesus and talk to him about the need that you see and that you asked about and prayerfully meet that need. So I challenge you this month to see a need, to ask about a need, and to prayerfully meet that need. Because loving God moves you to love others. Sitting on the park bench with Jesus and and just being there with him moves you to step into other people's lives and to meet a need. Now, there are so many people, and honestly, me standing on the stage, I, I attribute it to God being reflected in the people in my life. So here's a few stories of what brings me to here and what brings me to where I am in my life is a few of these stories. So the, here's the first one. It ranges in, in different ability to meet a need in my life. The first one was later on in high school, my friend Zach invited me to youth group. He, he saw a need that I needed to be connected. He asked if I would come to youth group, and then he met the need by coming with me to youth group. So there was a need there for me to connect, and there was someone that met that need. And that was a huge thing in my life at that moment. The next one is my family kind of went through a, a hard time later on in my high school years, and I needed a place to stay. And my youth pastor, Nick, offered me a place to stay. But even more than just a place to stay, I needed someone to be Jesus and just sit on the park bench with me and just model what that looks like. And that was probably one of the greatest models of Jesus that I have had in my life, is someone that would just sit with me. And I'm here because that man sat with me. And he showed me Jesus. And then, later on in my young adult days, I don't know how else to explain this, so I'll just say it. My car engine blew up. It melted on a trip to Santa Cruz. Literally, it melted, okay? I'm not even over-exaggerating. That's what the mechanic told me. He said my engine had melted, (laughs) all right? So that had started a point of like a lot of anxiety on what am I going to do? How am I going to get to my job? How, like, I don't have money to fix this or to buy a new car. Like, it was just a lot. And what I'm like screaming in my head during this time was, God's got this, 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 right? It's, there's been times like that I'm sure that you all have encountered. Of God's got this, God's got this, God's got this. And there were three moments that God just gave me a big hug, and he said, yeah, I've got it. And he did it through other people. The first one was I had a friend, have a friend, Robbie, that I just called, and we just laughed about the situation. I just called him, I said, hey, my engine melted. He goes, what? (laughs) And we just laughed. I needed that. I needed someone to just call and just laugh about it so that I didn't cry. And then... This woman, Sam, through her resources and through the people that she knew, she provided a vehicle for me. So now I have a vehicle. Now that tangible need is met, and I can truly say, God's got this, with confidence rather than just fervent 
anxiety. <laughs> and then this woman, Sarah, gave me some cash because she saw a need, she asked about a need, and she met a need. And each moment there, I got a big hug from Jesus because someone stepped into my life because they saw a need, they asked about a need, and they met a need. And they met that need out of a bigger picture of life and death. The bigger picture of life and death provides the urgency to meet a need. We don't have time here. We don't have much time here on earth. I can talk about human life expectancy and how short that is when we compare it to our eternal future. But we don't even know if we're going to wake up tomorrow. There is an urgent manner in which we need to meet the needs of others. Because it's, it's a stake of life and death. It's not just meeting their need. It's giving them the big picture of what Jesus has to offer. We need to be urgent about that. We need to be a people that are urgent about that. We don't have time. We need to be urgent about loving God, about sitting on the park bench with him, because loving God moves you to love others. So this month, love God so that he moves you to love others. And see, ask, meet. Dear Lord, thank you for this day. Thank you for this time that we have to spend with you and to be in this building and to even be able to gather together. Lord, I pray that you would just be moving in our hearts and loving us so that we can love others. Lord, I just thank you again for this day that we can see and hear you a little bit more clearly. We love you and we praise you. Amen.